What's up, everybody? Pano's here from Puck Empire, here with Kevin. Um, and we're back for another episode of the podcast. And um, since the last time we, we did our podcast last week, um, some all-star, the extra all-star pieces have come out for the fan vote. Um, I say fan vote in quotations because... Because it's uh, fucking rigged. Yeah, it was rigged because I don't know I don't know who was voting for Andre Vasilevsky, but I'm not, I didn't see nobody do that. So I don't know what the NHL is doing, but yeah, the, what, what were your thoughts on the fan vote, Kevin? It's it's actually disgraceful. I I can't believe it. We we said we said that if Matt Murray doesn't make the All Star game when the voting started, then we'd know it's rigged. And look where we are. It's a hundred percent rigged. Nobody nobody's voting Vasilevsky. And Twitter was spammed with Natchez, Caulfield, Stutzla. It's just unbelievable that we've ended up with the most standard players of all time. Like, who cares? Who cares if we have these random guys making it? All they do is fucking skate around in circles for 20 minutes. Yeah, I and, and people are, like, I saw some people, like, being like, oh, why do you care? Like, the All-Star game sucks. The All-Star game does suck. Get, don't get me wrong, it sucks. But if they're going to force this fucking shitty event on us every fucking year, it give us something to make us actually have a choice in the event, which was this fan vote. Um, and it's not even like we were voting the whole team. We were voting for th- two skaters and one goalie from each division. And, like, it's just, it's just annoying because, like, they and they told us, they told us, tweet and vote you get 10 votes every day your votes will count i'm telling you right now bro nobody was voting for austin matthews to make it to all-star game did he deserve to be in it just because he's one of the best players in the league yeah but he nobody was voting for him as you said caulfield and stutzel were getting the most votes for the atlantic by far and then for goalie it was either gonna be matt murray or craig anderson because those were the guys who were getting the votes from from fans who the fuck was voting vasilevsky nobody Nobody was voting him. Even, like, on Twitter, the Tampa Bay Lightning were not pumping out vote for Vasilevsky. They didn't give a fuck. So I really don't know what what that fan vote was, but it's just another part of a joke that the NHL is for their for growing the game. Like, it's it's bad. Yeah, no, they, they are a joke. And the thing is, voting on Twitter is probably the most interactive way that you could vote for players in an All-Star game. Nobody is voting on the NHL.com website other than the first day. Nobody's writing their email address. I swear to God, this was the biggest drawback to me using the NHL website is that I had to sign in every goddamn time and I was not doing all that just to vote Arbor Jack in there. You know what I mean? The only people that are I like no one's doing all that. Only only fucking NPCs are doing that to vote in Austin Matthews, which I And NHL, the NHL could have gotten away with it if they just put in Caulfield or Stutzla into the All-Star game, and they just made it seem like, oh, okay, yeah, see, Caulfield got in, like, the, like you know, Natros got in, see, the teams were pumping them out, and they got in. They didn't even do that. Like, I'm telling you right now, nobody was voting for the guys that they put in, and it, it's just like, and, like, okay, yeah, they, like, someone said, someone commented to me yesterday, they're like, okay, why are you mad? The best available players got in. Yeah, okay, but nobody was voting the best available players. Why are you giving us an option to even vote in the first place if you're not going to give us the best, if you're not going to let us actually choose? Like, do you think they should go back to 5v5? I I would honestly rather keep it 3v3, but I would rather see 3v3 20-minute games, like how they used to have the 20-minute games, 3v3. I mean 20-minute periods, not 20-minute games. 3v3 and East versus West. I don't want to see the divisions. 
it's just that I feel like 3v3 is becoming kind of stale now to the point where it's just gating in circles. Uh, I think switching it up to 5v5 would be a little bit of a refresher and seeing players actually uh, put in a little more effort. And that way we could have more players there and um, maybe our votes would mean something. Uh, but I don't know. That That's really the only argument I have for that. I mean, 3v3 is fun. It's just, it's getting a little bit stale, so maybe 5v5 wouldn't be the worst idea. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind it. I just need to see them get rid of the uh, the terrible one-player-per-team rule. Like, it, it's holding back the off. And, like, people go, oh, yeah, see, they put it in the best available players. Like, why are you mad? Um, buddy, if they wanted the best available players, they wouldn't do at least one player per team. Like, a few years ago, Franz Nielsen got into the fucking All-Star game because Detroit needed a fucking representative. That shows how a joke the All-Star game is. Don't disrespect my man like that. Don't disrespect my man like that. And and we can't can't forget about Leo Komarov, absolute legend, representing the Leafs in 2015, I think it was. What a great rule. And this rule has made Clayton Keller like a... Is it six or seven or... Yeah, I think so. What year is it? Six-time All-Star. Yeah, six-time All-Star. Yeah, <laughs> that math adds up way more. Clayton Keller is a six-time All-Star because that dumb rule. No disrespect to Clayton Keller, but... No. It's just... Would six-time All-Star if this rule wasn't in place? Probably not. Yeah, especially with the 3v3 smaller rosters. There's just no chance that he would have. Any other last thoughts on this uh, absolutely uh, BS All-Star quote fan vote? I'm just happy I don't have to tattoo Matt Murray on my foot. I love Matt Murray, but I was not looking forward to tatting him on my foot if he did get voted in, because I did promise that if he did get voted in. So I didn't even I didn't even know you made that bet. I did, yeah. I said if he gets voted in, I'm tattooing him on my foot. He didn't get voted in though, guys. So, so. did they do? Did the NHL do that for you? What? Rig the All Star <laughs> vote? I mean, maybe, maybe they wanted to save me there. <laughs> I can't, we got robbed of more than one thing now. Jesus Christ, dude. No uh, no pictures of uh, Panos' dogs anytime soon. When I hit 200K. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you getting next memes on your... Yeah, on yeah, your yeah. Oh, my Lord. What are you at right now? 121, so we're still a while away, but... From, by the end of 2023? I, th- I think by the end of... I think by mid-2024 for sure. Okay. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Moving on. On uh, Tuesday night, Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov skipped the uh, Pride Night warm-ups because he refused to wear the Pride-themed jerseys. Obviously, this has created lots of uh, attention, uh, mostly negative tension. And the only thing, I won't get into too much detail, but the thing I do want to say that is most bothersome is that I feel like this is a way that hockey fans can use as a excuse to project their hatred. And I think him skipping out on the warm-up warm-ups have really set us back. Whether it was uh, right or wrong for him to do that, it doesn't really matter. But that's all I'm going to say on that. I'll switch it up to more positive news because Pride Night is more about bringing the community together. And unfortunately, this has taken all the attention. So let, let's talk about uh, Scott Lawton and James Van Riemsdyk for a second here. Both of them launched a program in support of local LGBTQ youth in the greater Philadelphia area. They're donating four tickets to local uh, pride organizations for 20 home games during 2022-23. Scott Lawton, after the game, said um, 
Me and JVR just left the locker room with 50 people from the community. It was a great night, great initiative, amazing initiative, and something that's been close to me for a long time, Reamer too. So just wanted to switch the focus a little bit on a more uh, positive news there. I, I, don't, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but feel free. It, it has taken the world by storm. I haven't seen a story in hockey, you know, kind of been this big in the world, like in like in like where every news like every news platform is talking about it right now. Like I've seen like Fox News talking about it, like CNN, all these people are talking about it, bringing up hockey. I've never seen that happen. So it's obviously pretty big and it's never happened before in hockey. It happened in baseball last year with the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't know. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, yeah, five players didn't wear the uh, LGBTQ pin on their jerseys for the game. Um, but yeah, it's never happened in hockey. It is, you know, just like, I feel like wearing it does not mean like, it's it's not against your religion. How he said it's against his religion to to support, like to support it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Wear the jersey. It's not, like it doesn't say in the Bible, you cannot wear a jersey that says LGBT. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. say it's it's kind of a weird cycle because his post-game comment said that he respects everyone, but not wearing the jersey kind of implies that he's against it, which means he doesn't actually respect everyone. So it's a kind of weird cycle, but I, I do firmly believe that he shouldn't have played. Like, if you're not going to warm up with your team, there's absolutely no chance that you should play the game. Kind of. Yeah. For me, it's like, I feel like, okay, he shouldn't be forced to wear it because then would you want someone who doesn't even want to to represent it do you want him to just represent it anyways but at the same time even if he's not forced to wear it he's also not exempt from getting any side sort of criticism yeah like people criticizing him are completely right to criticize him because it is something where he he could have just worn it he could have just you know it wasn't it didn't have to be this massive deal um, so I'm not like he definitely should not be exempt from criticism whatsoever. But at the end of the day, like if he doesn't want to wear it, do we want someone who want do we want someone who doesn't even believe in the cause and believe in like the the justice that they're trying to do, which is wearing it and being a part of it anyways? That's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, I do agree. Um, obviously, there's a big debate about if it's right or wrong. Like whatever it's just nobody you can't change people's opinions on a topic like this so it's not really worth fighting about but as i mentioned earlier this is giving people a reason to kind of project negative feelings and spread more hate and it's just i feel like it's kind of a tire fire situation among hockey fans right now so well not even hockey fans but just in general the general topic it's always just splits between people so i think him skipping out on the warm-ups like this does set us back a little bit and it caused way more negative news which is not what these uh special theme nights are about so yeah i think i'll just leave it off there uh so some more bad news this week for the canes and max patch he suffered another achilles tear his second one in five or six months, and he's going to be out the entire season. Absolutely tough, tough break for the Canes here. Yeah, it it does suck, especially him being out for the whole season. Um, there's people, you know, kind of speculating, is he going to retire now? I don't know if he's going to retire. I feel like this is something he can come back from, but it's going to be if he wants to come back from it. Of course, he is 34, so he could retire. He's had a long career. 
But if he wants to come back from it, I do think he can come back from it. But he needs he needs to take a long time to rehab and really take his time here because he came two months before he was even supposed to from this previous Achilles injury. So he definitely has to take time to actually fully rehab this one and, and kind of get fully healthy because when he's healthy, like two years ago when he was fully healthy for the first time, and you know he was a top 10 winger in the NHL. Um, but he, he's just not he's not able to stay healthy right now. He only played five games before re-injuring it, and it was on a non-contact injury. So it wasn't even like someone hit him the wrong way. It was just straight up he turned a corner and completely shredded his Achilles. So Yeah, it, it's, it's brutal too because it was in the final, what, 10 seconds of that game. They're up 5-2 or 4-1. I don't remember what the score of that game was. Either way, it was like a three-goal lead, and he's out there with six seconds left. Ha- having that happen is just awful. And like you said, he, he was a top 10 winger for sure when he was healthy uh, a few years ago, but that just hasn't been the case. Even if you kind of set the Achilles injuries aside, he's been struggling with injuries last year as well. He only played 39 games last year. So it it's more into consideration than just the Achilles injury for Pacioretty here if he wants to retire because... Overall, he's just been injury prone a lot the last two years, so definitely, I can I can definitely see it in consideration. Yeah, I think he's gonna have to sit out like the entire next season until around the trade deadline, and then he can maybe sign with a team you think has a chance to go on a run. That's what I think it's gonna be really. I I don't think like if he ends up returning to play, I think he's gonna have to take a long, long time to rehab this injury, just because two Achilles tears in like five months is obviously horrific, right? Like for your career. Oh yeah, and. And of course, the same the same leg uh, too. So yeah, same exact like the same exact place the injury he re-injured the same injury that he had. Yeah, it's just awful for Kane's fans, Kane's organization, for him as well. Just brutal situation all around. Waiting that long, finally feeling feeling like you have a sniper there in Carolina, and then it just. I think this is really good. Nowhere, Carolina making a big move at the deadline too now because. They were really banking on him to be their big piece on the forward core. And now, obviously, he's out for the rest of the season. I really can see them either getting Patrick Kane or Bo Horvath. I think they will get one of the two, or Tarasenko. Ooh, uh, Patrick Kane. That would be interesting. I think I think they're going to be more towards uh, Bo Horvath, personally, just because their second-line center right now is Paul Stastny. Yeah, I <laughs> definitely do need Bo Horvath the most out of anyone. Despite that tough injury luck for the Canes, they're atop of the Metropolitan Division, so they're in a fairly comfortable spot there. You know who's not in a comfortable spot? Who? The Calgary Flames. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. The Calgary Flames. Listen up. If you're a Calgary Flames fan like I am right now, you you should be scared. You should be absolutely concerned because this is going to be a disaster to be to be quite frank. Uh, I saw this tweet. Apparently, Frank Cervalli reported this, that apparently Daryl Sutter wants to be the GM again. Oh. <laughs> what, yeah. What? Yeah, no, yeah. I did not see that. Um, sea of Red Central tweeted that Frank Cervalli is sensing a rift between coach and GM, and that uh, his read on Daryl, based on interviews he does is that he ultimately wants to be GM. That's what Frank Cervalli is saying. If that happens, it's going to be an absolute disaster. Just the fact that there's a rift between uh, Trilliving and Sutter right now, as Cervalli reports, is concerning in, in, in itself. Because 
you look at the way Daryl Sutter is managing young players right now, it's it's not great. There's a lot of guys in the flame system that I feel like should have a chance to kind of prove themselves. So Matthew Phillips, Jacob Peltier, uh, Adam Ruzitska even. And they're not they're not getting the opportunities because he's kind of prioritizing veterans like Milan Lucic, who's playing on the second or on the first line, sorry, with uh Jonathan Huberdo, or well, first or second line, whatever it even is. This forward core is mid as hell. And I think that's just such a waste of talent. But to focus on the GM aspect of this, Daryl Sutter was the GM of the Flames between 2003 to 2010. I did not so, know that he was GM until 2010, to be honest. Yeah, he uh, was hired as a head coach in 2002, became GM in 2003, lasted until 2010. So I'm just going to quickly recap his drafts. From 2004 to 2010, there was 50 picks and three notable players. Michael Furland, Michael Backlund, and TJ Brody. That's it. Not a single superstar out of 50 picks. If we kind of focus on his first-round picks... In 2009, he drafted Tim Erickson, played zero games for the Flames. 2008, Greg Nemitz, I don't even know how to say his name, played 15 games with the Flames. This was a pick before Tyler Ennis and uh, John Carlson. Roman Yossi went 13 picks later. 2007, he drafted Michael Backlund. Okay, good pick. That's your best pick out of 50. In 2006, Leland Irving played 13 games for the Flames. 2005, Matt Pellick, 13, sorry, five games for the Flames. And 2004, Chris Chucko, two games played for the Flames. Absolute disaster with the drafting here. And I don't have inside sources, but I'm getting a sense just personally from what I'm noticing from the Flames draft right now that he's kind of influencing the picks because... I have not been impressed. They kind of, they're picking players that just have Sutter written all over them, like Topi Roney and William Stromgren. Like they pick Stromgren over Stankoven, and I, I remember fuming about that. There's just, there's just picks there that I don't, I don't really know. It's kind of concerning to be a Flames fan right now, uh, hearing that news. Yeah, that that is concerning, especially because I don't know if I would want Daryl Sutter GMing my team, to be honest. I personally do like him as a coach for a team that is, like, old and ready to contend because what he did with the Flames last year, even though they weren't old, they were ready to contend. And what he did with them, like, they were – that first line was, like, amazing. He made that line into, like, a defensive type of line, too. He made the team contend. Uh, Obviously, they lost in in the first – in the second round, I mean, but – they were a team that was ready to genuinely, they could have won the cup out of the West. Win the cup, um, win the cup, win the cup. <laughs> I remember that song, yeah. That's why we lost. Sorry, go on. <laughs> but yeah, I'm fine with him being a coach. Even I think in Calgary, like maybe he's kind of outdone his stay in Calgary, but somewhere else in the NHL, I think he could still be a head coach to win a cup. But GM, I would not put Daryl Sutter in, in charge of my team to be a GM. No, and, and if he has any influence on this franchise for an extended period of time, we're cooked. Because we have some big contracts to guys in their late 30s like Huberto and Kadri. So yeah. I, we we don't want him manning the ship here because it's just going to be a consistent cycle of mid. I mean, we already are, but now it's kind of getting to a, po- a point where it's even worse. So yeah, that's just... 
a little bit a little bit of a worrying time to be a Flames fan at the moment. It's also an interesting time to be a Sens fan who have been linked to like every single defender ever in the last few days. Yeah, they've been linked. They've been linked to specifically defensemen with term as well, or like they want uh, not only with term, but like talent, like talented defensemen. Like they want guys like Matthias Ekholm. They've been linked to. Um, they've been linked to, I believe, Vladislav Gavrikov as well, who does not have term, but obviously if they pick him up, they would try to extend him um, because he's probably the top defensive rental on the market. I'm trying to think of one right now. I think he's the top one. So obviously Ottawa, there's reports that they want to show their players and their fan base that they are serious about getting better. Even if playoffs won't come this year, they want to show that they are committed to making this team eventually a contender. Um, I personally think it's a stupid idea to trade for a defenseman right now. I think you would much rather be able to do it at the draft and evaluate all what you're looking at coming into the season. Obviously, the draft is, um, I believe the draft is a little bit before free agency. Yeah, it's a week before free agency. So, you know, evaluate where you're at, see, you know, who your targets are in free agency, and then make a decision to make a splash on defenseman. That's what I would do if I'm Ottawa. Um, but... Yeah, they're they're trying to get a defenseman right now when they're sitting very far out of the playoffs, so I'm not too sure about that. Yeah, for real. What is the point of acquiring a defenseman right now? <laughs> like, if, if you're the Sens. Yeah. There is no point. I don't know why they, they're uh, all up in there. They definitely do need a defenseman, but, like, what, what yeah, is right a lot now? of your target for? Like, you're not making the playoffs. You're 10 points out of a wild card spot right now. Um, if you do make the playoffs, you're going to get absolutely stomped by Carolina or Boston in the first round. Like, it's not even going to be close. You're going to get swept by either one of those teams, most likely. So what exactly are you trying to do getting a guy like Vladislav Gavrikov right now? You can even wait for free agency and, and do the bidding work because he wants to test the free agent market. You can just wait for free agency if you really want to and then pay him and, and get him. Like, what are you doing giving up assets? Because Columbus wants a first-round pick. You, as the Ottawa Senators, are giving up a first-round pick for Vladislav Gavrikov at the deadline. Like... I don't get it. Yeah, they're just, they're just like, there's other ways to show your team that you want to still contend, which is, you know, spending more money next free agency or making a big trade in the offseason. You don't have to do it right now. On January 20th, less than two months, no, less than a month and a half away from the trade deadline, you're not making the playoffs at this point. It's kind of obvious. And you're still trying to get a rental. Like, what? It reminds me of when Buffalo got Wayne Simmons as a rental when they were like 26. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was that? Dude, didn't they yeah. trade for Michael Froelich too? Yeah. And Dominic, uh, bro, Dominic Cahoon as well, I believe. Oh, they were they were stacking up for their run. <laughs> <laughs> and they missed the playoffs. And that year, the playoffs were 24 teams, not 16. And they still Dude, missed the playoffs. I'm pretty sure they were only like two points away from it too. Yeah, they were. They Something were mad. Like they were right there. Because uh, they were like, oh, we had a better point percentage than Montreal, so we should have gone in at 24, but it doesn't really matter at this point. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little late for that, and even if they made it, I don't think Simmons or Cahoon are helping them there. <laughs> you mentioned the Bruins in that discussion about the Sands getting stomped in the playoffs if they were to make it. Yeah. Uh, let's, just, let's just talk about how unbelievable they are right now. Just yeah, they're in like mind-numbing. 5 and 4, bro. 36 5 and 4. They have 36 wins in January. Some teams don't even reach 36 wins. Like some some teams that are battling for a playoff spot don't even reach 36 wins until like the last month of the season. They have 36 wins in January. 
Do we think they're cupping? It's hard for me just because there's a lot of teams that I think could cup. Like, I think realistically Boston could, Carolina could, Toronto could. Um, Dallas is a cup contender in my mind. Tampa, Winnipeg, Vegas. Um, I think the Rangers are. I really think the Rangers can cup. Bro said Winnipeg. I think Winnipeg could, bro. Hellbuck. You don't think Hellbuck can Okay. Sure. Okay, that's a fair point. If Hellebuck goes on some insane uh, Conn Smythe run, then fair enough. Or is good enough to win a cup with, with uh, Kyle Connor. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has been very good. Shifley has been all right. Wheeler has been, you know, solid. They got Perfetti. Like, they're, nah, they're, they're hitting that regression when they make the playoffs. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But, I, you know, it's a fair point. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Like, I only have eight or nine teams this year that I could see winning the cup and I wouldn't be surprised with. So that's why I'm not, like, immediately going to say with confidence that Boston can win it. But, like, I mean, they have 76 points right now. So. Is that your favorite right now? My favorite right now is Carolina, actually. Really? Why is yeah, that? Well, they've got insane defense. I'm a big fan of the addition of Brent Burns this year. They're forward core is insane like they have a lot of depth i feel like as well and if they add a guy like bo horvat as well like we were talking about like i don't see who's going to be able to beat carolina other than boston i think boston carolina would be a really fun series to watch i feel like that's the important part though the acquiring another forward piece because currently with like i said paul stastny as their 2c i don't i don't know about that right now i don't know about that I mean, it's obviously a very solid roster, very good defense, like you said. But, yeah, they're they're just missing that strong forward piece that would make them favorites for me. I, I definitely do think Boston are the favorites. It's just unreal. And apparently they're interested in Horvat too, huh? Yeah, they are. And I honestly feel like they are just interested in him just to make sure that Carolina doesn't get him, to be honest. Like, I, so. I feel like is because I feel like Boston more needs a winger than a center. Like, I feel like they could much rather use a guy like Patrick Kane, who's a big ticket uh, trade deadline forward, than a guy like Bo Horvat. I, that's why. But I just think they kind of want to take him away from Carolina, to be honest. Kane and Pasta would be sick. That'd be filthy. But it's just like, is Kane even going to get traded? Because yeah. he's got the hip injury you know that that he's saying is not an issue he's saying yeah it's not an issue i'll be fine but there is some talk that he might even need to get surgery for it and if he gets surgery for it when is he coming back from hip surgery right like would he be back in offs i'm pretty sure that was a problem last year too hey yeah like it was it kind of went under the radar yeah just because chicago has been so shit so nobody really notices but now this year they notice because he's a big uh trade deadline piece Man, I mean, how much cap space do they have, right? Like, they have 33K in cap space right now, so I don't even know how they'd make it work. Well, the thing with the Patrick Kane trade is it's going to be a double retention, so it's going to be Chicago trades into a team like Arizona. Boston gives up an extra asset to do that, for Arizona to do that. Arizona retains another 50%, and that brings Kane's actual cap hit down to, like, 2.5 or 3 mil. So the cap is not honestly a problem because then Boston, after that cap gets down to three mil, they add a guy like probably Felino in a trade or like some guy who has or Mike Riley. They do Derek that. Derek Forbort like, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Well, apparently yeah. he's actually this year. Oh, so, okay. I, I haven't really. Their fans like him. I though, really noticed. Oh, he's, yeah. he's on that third pairing, big third pairing with Connor Clifton. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's working, so. But that would make them absolutely unreal if they 
if they still continue to add. I'm sure they'll make a couple depth moves, but uh, even the way they are right now, they're just unbelievable. Patrick Kane, to be honest, it would just be another big piece on top of what they've already got. Like, they don't need him, though. Honestly, Boston could make zero moves, and they'd be very fine. (laughs) Still fine. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty funny that Taylor Hall is writing their third line right now. Pavel Zaka has been kind of a good surprise for them this year. I mean, he got signed to that uh, four times four contract. Yeah. Four four, four times 3.5, four times four? I think it was four times four, wasn't it? I think so. Oh, four times 4.75, sorry. Oh, yeah. Should have done my research on that. Oh, yeah, it was 4.7. Because I remember like people were saying how it was a bad contract. I mean, 4.75 is maybe a little much, but the cap is going up every year after this year, so it's fine. Yeah, and they, and they do get Nick Foligno off of the books in this offseason. Yeah. Uh, they also get Craig Smith off the books this season. So we'll see. We'll see. Not Not bad for the Bruins. Yeah, and one more topic on this uh, episode is the handling of Bruce Boudreaux by the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we're recording this right now on Friday, uh, January 20th. As of right now, he's not fired. He's in the second period against Colorado right now, but it's looking like by Monday he will be gone and the new head coach will be Rick Tochit. And there's a lot of stuff going on today where people where reporters have been posting the video of Bruce Boudreaux getting very emotional and walking away from the post or from the practice media and saying like he was, he was crying because they were asking what it means to be a coach in the NHL. And it obviously just kind of shows the mental toll he's been coming through lately. Um, knowing that his career it might be coming to an end here in Vancouver has kind of just had it out for him all season long, even since the off season, like they didn't want to pay him after how good he was for Vancouver last season. And now they're kind of blaming him for their downfall. When in reality, this roster just isn't very good. Um, I, I, I do not like how they've treated him. I don't, I'm a big fan of Jim Rutherford, but the way that he has treated him and the, the ownership has treated Bruce Boudreaux has just been very terrible. I think Bruce Boudreaux is a very underrated coach. And I think, for a team like Anaheim, he could be very, very good because he's a players coach. Players like love to play for him. Um, and I don't even think that he's lost the Vancouver locker room. I think the Vancouver locker room loves him. It's just that the management has it out for him at this point. Like you said, the Canucks are just straight up bad. <laughs> They're just straight up bad. Like he gets so much blame that I don't think he deserves. I mean, they they have a pairing of OEL and Tyler Myers. Like it's it's not. He doesn't have the the greatest roster in the world to work with, so he is kind of the recipient of very unfair treatment. Even their goalies are they're Not in a true. difficult situation right now too. So, like whenever he's had a good roster, like when he was coaching on the Ducks and he had like a solid roster, he made that team into a cup contender. Um, and when I, when he was coaching um, Minnesota as well, they weren't a cup contender, but he was actually coaching them to at least like to play decent because honestly would minnesota have been even in the mid range with him they were mid back then but would they have been been mid like they would have probably been terrible because they like minnesota back in in that uh was not a good roster at all so i think if he goes back to anaheim honestly it'd be the perfect fit for him if dallas eakins comes out of anaheim this year that would be honestly I would say, like, that's the perfect fit. Of course, if he wants to coach, who knows if he wants to keep coaching after Vancouver, he's getting up there in age. Uh, but, yeah. I'd love to see that reunion, too. I think that'd be sick. Yeah, imagine him coaching Zegers. That'd be, like, the funniest thing. 
Those are just two guys that just laugh every time the camera's on them. It's... Oh my god, awesome. Yeah, just just to stay on the top of topic of the Canucks for a second here. Uh, honestly, think they should do a full scale rebuild. I'm not gonna lie. Like just no, definitely should. Yeah. E- definitely even should. even like even like Pedersen Hughes, just like all right. I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I, would... I, I, I there's nothing to build around here. You're handicapped handicapped by JT Miller's awful contract. I mean, at this point, at this point, I believe well, they people... should just sell everything. This is what it is for me. If you can get Pedersen locked up to an eight-year deal for his next extension, you do that and you keep him. But if he doesn't want to sign long-term, then okay, trade him. But you you, you don't want to trade him if he's willing to stay here long-term because like, it's very hard to find a legitimate elite 1C, and he is, in my opinion, an elite 1C. He's got 52 points in 42 games. He's very he's like one of the top uh, high-skill forwards in the league defensively. So I wouldn't trade him if he wants to stay here long term. Even if you do rebuild, I think that's a piece you want to have on your team just because it's so hard to find a guy to replace a guy like that. Like how many guys realistically over the course of the next five years will be better centers than Elias Pettersson? I don't think I don't think there's going to be that many, to be honest. Yeah, but they'll win nothing the entire time, so it doesn't really matter. That's why I'm kind of saying they should just start from scratch because, oh my God, this is this is kind of a disaster right now in Vancouver. I, I remember that shift with Hughes, Besser, and Pedersen in that three-on-three uh, three three overtime versus the Kings, and everyone was hyping it up so much. Now look where we are. <laughs> oh, tough, tough go for the Canucks, eh? But the Canucks will just never rebuild because their owner never wants to lose any money, and if he rebuilds, the team is going to be bad, and if the team is bad, he's going to get less money. And that's why the Canucks are where they're at right now, to be honest, for the last decade. Sounds like the Calgary Flames. I mean, I just I that OEL trade was so bad. Yeah, taking like they tra- on that contract. The funny thing is, when that OEL trade happened, everyone knew it was bad for Vancouver too. Everyone was like, "What the fuck are they doing? They're trading all this just to get rid of one year of bad contracts from Louis Erickson and Jay Beagle." That's it. That's yep. really what it was. Everyone knew it was a terrible deal right off the bat because they knew OEL was overpaid and not very great, and they knew that the ninth overall pick was going to be a guy like Dylan Gunther. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everyone knew right off the bat that deal was fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, one thing is for sure that they do have to trade Bohorf at this uh, trade deadline. I, I don't think yeah. he should be taking any risks with that. I don't even think he wants to stay anyways. Or the deadline, but just in case he gets hurt, like... Yeah, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we'll probably wrap it up there. There's not much else to talk about right now. So, yeah, I'll let let you have the outro. Yeah, thanks, guys, for listening to another episode. And, you know, I I told you guys we'd be getting back to making these consistently, and we're on the path to doing that. So, yeah, see you guys in the next one.